Good morning, everybody. This morning we'll be in Hebrews chapter 11. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, Hebrews 11. Coming up Saturday, October 28th, down in Shawnee, Kansas, um, there's a conference going on called Sheepdog Seminars. Rod first introduced me to that a long time ago, showed me a video. Really good for, um, for those guys that are interested in going down. The flyer's down there. I won't go into great detail, um, but it is about taking care of the flock. And, and uh, so anyway, that's what the flyer looks like. It's on the table, and uh, it, is, uh, it is 70 bucks. so just so you're aware of that. Um, <clears throat> but that's going on October 28th. I think that's about the only next thing. Um, October 31st, obviously, we're having our harvest party, and there is a sign-up sheet for that if you want to help out that uh, night, um, and uh, that'll be a good time. Also, it's where we minister to the kids and have a concert and have a bunch of stuff out back for uh, the kids to do instead of Halloween. Um, so um, your kids are welcome to dress up however they want, except we just steer clear of the ghoulish kind of stuff, the demonic stuff is trying to avoid, obviously. So characters are good of, you know, Bible characters or even uh, occupational characters, something like that's a good idea. Um, but we steer clear of the, the ghosts and the goblins kind of thing. So, all right, we need to get right to it. It's kind of a long chapter and we have communion afterwards. So Hebrews chapter 11 is the hall of faith. That's what it's been dubbed over the years. It goes, can, it, it gives us several people um, 14 specifics and then a bunch of others at the end here of folks that uh, walked by faith. And uh, there's been a, probably a misconception of what faith is. You hear it used um, in, a, in the wrong way a lot of times. We say, so what faith are you of? It's, it's not really the right, I mean, you know what they mean by it. I'm not going to pick apart. We don't want to argue over semantics. It's just a word. But faith is actually something. It's not a, an ideology. Um, faith is visible by what we do. Um, what you see around me and how I live my life, um, that is my faith showing itself. And James tried to get that across to people. It's not about your words. It's not about how you tell people about your faith or, or what denomination you are or whether you're a Christian or a Buddhist. That's not what that word means. The word faith is simply um, how you live your life. Um, based off of hope. And that's this first verse here in chapter 11, verse 1. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it, the elders obtained a good testimony. Now, before we go too much further, we need to remember what the writer's trying to remind these guys of. Look, um, I'm asking you, God has asked you to believe on Jesus and that he has fulfilled everything required of the law for you and that your hope is in heaven and he's making a place for you there and will take you there eventually. That's faith. And I want you to live that way, he says. But they've, they've fallen away from that and they're moving back to their old covenant. And so he simply takes time out of his writing here, puts his chapter in here to let him know, look, you're not the first people that have been asked to walk by faith. God's asked a lot of guys to walk by faith, and they have. And so he goes over the patriarchs and some of the people that they would remember. Oh, yeah, those guys did stuff and lived their lives based off of something they hadn't seen yet but had been promised by God, and God's just asking us to do the same thing. That's basically this in a nutshell. God's asked us to believe that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Now, the fact that I believe that isn't with my words but the way I live, okay, 
I can tell you that I have faith. I can tell you that I, can, uh, that I believe all things and that I trust God. But if my life doesn't show that, my faith is only in words. It's, it's to the point where you just, words don't mean anything. It's only how you live. That's the only evidence. In this room, we've got um, it's 20.95% oxygen, give or take. 20.95. Now, we can't see it, nor can we measure it. You might be able to if you have something in your pocket, some kind of gauge. I, I'm imagining you don't. But that's, that's what we believe. Now, the evidence of that is the fact that you're all awake, looking at me, and not collapsed on the ground. Now, if that b- falls below 19.5%, you guys start getting lethargic. You start kind of, you go a little bit lower into the 16%, and all of a sudden your mental capacity begins to change. It doesn't work like it's supposed to. You're oxygen deprived. Same the other way. If it goes too high above anything above 23.5%, we begin to become in danger of being engulfed in flames. It becomes pretty flammable at that point. 35 to 40%, you really don't want to have a match at that point. It's not good. Everything in the room becomes very, very flammable. We become flammable. Everything becomes flammable with oxygen. We can't see it. We don't know it. But the fact that you're all in this condition right now tells me we're at about 20.95. That's faith. That's the idea behind it. Me telling you that the percentage in here is 55%, you can all look around you at the evidence and say, no, it's not at 55%. The oxygen level's at 8%. These are my words. They're telling you what I believe to be true, but the evidence suggests otherwise. If it was at 8%, we'd all be on the ground right now. Nobody would be awake. Faith is that way. Oh, I believe in God. I love God. Mm. You know? Okay. But your life doesn't suggest it, perhaps. Or the opposite. You don't have to tell me about your faith. I can obviously see what your faith is. I don't need to be told. I'm always concerned, and I and, and think rightly so, as a pastor, when people have to always confirm their faith to me with words. No, I truly believe. I really believe. I so believe. I'm very, very, very believing. Okay. I don't need to convince me of that. I just, I just watch the actions. You just watch how people walk. That tells you everything you need to know about their faith. And so the writer here says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. We know that. We've talked about that several times. I've used the example of a telescope versus a microscope. A telescope, you can look as far as you want to until you get past all the matter in the universe. We don't have one that does that yet, but suppose you did. And you can look past all the stars, all the planets, all the galaxies, if you could, until you get to black. There's just nothing there, which is kind of weird in and of itself. That'll, that'll cause you to trip out a little bit. But you can do the same with a microscope. We don't have a microscope that can do that either, but you can see this, and we can see that, and pretty soon, what's that made of? What's the, an atom? We got that. Okay, but what's the atom made of? Well, it's you know, neutrons and protons and a nucleus. And we, yeah, but what's that made of? Eventually, you run out of words because you're like, well, that was made of particles. Particles? Particles of what? I don't know. And what are those particles made of? Something littler. <laughs> you know, you don't have anything to say. 
until eventually you go all the way down to, wait a minute, (laughs) what's everything made of anyway? When do we get to the bottom of that thought? When do we get to the end of space? And when do we get to the bottom of creation? And the writer here simply says, by faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. It's by the word of God that you're sitting in that chair and not falling through it. Right? It's interesting how that works. I love that when they describe how you know, your atoms are spinning, not the atoms themselves, but the neutrons are spinning and the protons are spinning. They're all going around. And I'd probably have this wrong. Don't correct me afterwards. Okay, I'm getting close. But you understand, and it's because those things are bumping into each other that you don't fall through your chair. If those were to freeze, we'd just go right through the earth. If every atom was just to freeze, stop ours, which are moving a little bit slower. The chairs are really, really moving slow. But if ours stop moving, we just go right through everything. It's only because they're bumping into each other that they stay away. It's just amazing. A lot of people don't like to think that. Hey, I'm just trying to get through Monday, you know, at work. But it's those thoughts and it's those ideas and the capacity in our brain, as small as it is, God's given us that capacity. Even think that, even the dumbest person in the world can think that way. God's given us that ability. It gets us to God. Either way. Either way, it gets us to, okay, (laughs) God. And that's what the writer's saying. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. By faith, so he goes through a list here. Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts. And through it, he being dead, still speaks. In other words, what he did, his act... uh, Oh, I was going to try to avoid using that word because that's the wrong way to put it too. His faith shown in that one moment where he offered up the right sacrifice according to God's word, still speaks to us, even though he's dead. I don't need to hear him tell me how much faith Abel has. Hi, my name's Abel and I have faith. I don't need to hear that. I, I have his, the evidence of his life that tells me that. Now, this, this particular faith um, just benefited him in his relationship with God. You're going to see a progression here as we go through these names. Just Abel. It's just for Abel. It's just between Abel and God. I hear you, God, and I'm going to offer up the sacrifice that you require of me. He didn't preach to Cain. He didn't preach to even Adam or his mom, Eve. He just did what God told him to do based on what he was taught and his relationship with God. He did what he was supposed to do, and his relationship was right with God. Now, that's not all the story, but that's all the story that needs to be told for this portion of Scripture. Abel offered the sacrifice, a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by faith. He believed God and gave him what God required of him. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had a testimony that he pleased God. In other words, his reputation was that he was a man, a man who pleased God. And when he disappeared from the face of the earth, when God raptured him, took him away without death, everybody went, well, yeah, (laughs) that's Enoch. He was a man of faith. They knew why. It was because he trusted God. See, Abel's offering was pleasing to God. We knew that. Enoch's walk with God was pleasing, and then there was a result of that walk. He was taken without death. 
So we see a progression there from just, just doing what God asked me to do, not because I'm hoping for a reward or a blessing or something, but just because I believe that's what God requires of me. The second thing we see is Enoch doing what God requires of him, and there was a result of it. There was a, a corresponding action to his action. You do this, and this is what happened. But without faith, it is impossible to please him, God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. You can't please God without it. And he's not talking about words again. It's got to be the walk. That's all he's looking at. I don't want to hear your confession in prayer. I don't want you to tell me over and over again, all day long, how much you believe me, trust in me. I'm watching you walk. Your actions tell me whether the words you shared were true or not. I want to see you walk by faith. I want to see that faith. I don't want to hear it. Verse 7. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. See the movement here, the progression. Abel, it's just for himself. Enoch, well, he saw a benefit, a blessing of himself. Now Noah is blessing others by his faith. Not everybody got talked to, just Noah did. Everybody had to believe that Noah was walking with God and Noah says, we're supposed to build a giant boat because water's going to fall from the sky, which has never happened before because everything was watered from a, a mist. It's the first time rain's ever happened, and they'd never seen it before. But God says, you know what? We're going to build a boat because right here on dry ground ain't going to be dry ground no more. Pretty sure he didn't talk like that, but I did for the sake of... And like the song says, and the water came up. The rain came down and the water came up. We sing that to the kids all the time. And isn't the family glad they believed the man of faith that they were following because they got in the boat and they were saved? And aren't they glad the man that they followed, the man that God gave them, was listening and didn't say, I don't know. I know it's supposed to rain, but I don't even understand what the word means. I don't know what he's talking about. I've got to figure this out first. Exactly what do you mean by rain? I mean, how much water is going to come down? What do you mean 30 days or 40 days and 40 nights? How mu- what's that going to look like? What's a puddle? I mean, I didn't probably know what a puddle was, but you know what I mean. And so our faith, your faith, your walk, your actual actions in your life, believing God at his word is not only a blessing to yourself and your relationship with God, not only is there a benefit for you personally, but there's a benefit for those around you. To see that and to be a part of that and to be protected by it. I like to walk by faith because it steers me in the right direction. You know, I try not to look at circumstances. It would have been foolish for Noah to look at the circumstances around him. It's what do you mean it's going to rain? It's never done that before. And based off the evidence that I've seen and I've experienced, I don't see how that could possibly be true. Therefore, I don't think I've heard from God, and therefore I'm not going to do what I heard God tell me to do. But because he believed God and didn't look at the circumstances around him and did exactly what God told him to do, all of a sudden he finds himself prepared for what was coming that he couldn't see. That's walking by faith. 
That's our faith lived out. That's, that is faith. It's, it's hard to, to say it right for me. Faith is not my words, and it's not an act. It's, it's the evidence of my hope in God. And that's how you see it. And it manifests itself in all these different ways. Now he moves to Abraham, the father of faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob and heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Now we're going to get back to Abraham. And there's going to be more about Abraham that we're going to hear. But for this one here, he actually was told by God to go to this new land that you're going to receive as inheritance. And he never did. He did, but only through his grandchildren. Actually, great, 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 great. I mean, after Egypt was when they got it. 400 years, more than that, obviously. But 400 years they were in Egypt in captivity. Abraham never really received it. He just walked around on it. But later on, because he did that, because he obeyed God, it wasn't for him to receive the blessing. It was for him to walk by faith. And generations later, because he did what he was supposed to do, a whole nation was built, birthed, and given a property, given land. We've had that here in our country. But a whole lot of folks... A long time ago, they went through a whole lot of hardship to get us to this place where we can willy-nilly throw out our rights. Eh, I mean, we've had them for so long. I mean, who needs this right and who needs that right and all that? I've been posting the amendments on Facebook just one at a time here and there because I don't think a lot of people know what they are, what they say. They hear it, First Amendment, Second Amendment, but they don't know what's written. These things were written on purpose. And I'm not going to get into a big political thing, but um, much like Abraham, who went to a land that he was supposed to inherit, others did. And he did it by faith. He did it because God called him to do that. Likewise, we sit in the blessing of other men's faith. We're standing in it. We're standing on it. The fact that I can even sit up here and preach. The fact that we can show up here today without having to get a permit every time. You understand that? You know other countries don't allow us to assemble like this? You can't assemble like this. We'd be, the door would be knocked down. What are you doing in here? Why are you, all you people gathered together? There's not, nothing good comes of people gathering together. You guys disperse. Disperse. We'll let you know when you can gather together. Take that for granted sometimes. I do. And I think our guys, you know, wanted us to take it for granted, but also to understand it and defend it. Be careful. That you're taking it for granted doesn't turn into complacency. You know, very important. Abraham's faith, never receiving the actual blessing of the inheritance, but his posterity did. And he lived in a tent, walking around. And because of that, Isaac grew up in a tent walking around. And because of that, Jacob grew up in a tent walking around. And it wasn't until after Jacob was dead that they got to leave Egypt and actually come to this promised land that was promised to Abraham so long ago. Amazing. 
But thank you, Abraham, for your faith, they would all say to him. And that's why they appreciate him so much. They understood that. We live here because of your faith. By faith, Sarah, that's his wife, herself also received strength to conceive seed. And she bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. I remember that story differently. Sarah, that's not how it went. Don't you remember Sarai? You're going to have a baby. And she laughed. He says, why is Sarah laughing? She goes, I didn't laugh. She goes, oh, no, you did laugh, God said to her. I mean, he was, there wasn't a whole lot of what I would call faith at that point. And what I love about that is that's pre-Jesus, pre-cross. But after the cross, how Sarah's story is recorded, her sin is remembered no more. That's not how God sees it. Oh, Sarah was a great woman of faith. Wait a minute. And you know what? That's how he writes about us. After you become born again, after you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you know that we're in this 11? That's us. Oh, but you don't know the life I've lived. No, and thank goodness it wasn't recorded, right? And there is no recording of it. It's not there. When, when, when God talks about J.D., I love it. I love to hear his story. I love his version of my life. J.D. was a great man of faith. Unbelievable. I told him to do this, and he did it without a, without a hesitation. There he went off and running, and I just, it was amazing. And then I told him to do this, and he went here, and he did that. And I'm, <laughs> a relative of mine might say, that ain't how it went. <laughs> I remember a lot of knees and a lot of prayer and a lot of oh no's and oopses and that was dumb and that's not how it's recorded. And be encouraged by that, folks. So you didn't do it great. So you were a little hesitant in responding. So you made a mistake. That's not how it's recorded. And you know what? Thank you, Sarah. And I'm sorry for anything I've ever said otherwise about her. We give her a hard time because, well, he wrote it down for us to learn from her, to be admonished by her story. And I do, and it's good. All God's word is good. But when I speak of Sarah, she's an example of faith. That's what God wants us to see. She's an example, a woman of faith. So I love that he writes that down. She received strength to conceive seed when she was old in her age. God understood her weakness. God understood the, the doubt. He understood why she didn't believe. He understood all that. He's not, he's not ignorant of the fact that, yes, it is impossible for you to have a child. We know that you're past the age of childbearing. I know all of that. And I understand for your mind it's very difficult for you to believe that, but I want you to believe me when I tell you you're going to have a baby. Despite all the circumstances, don't look at those. Listen to me. And she did. And she had a baby. And she called him Isaac. Remember what Isaac means? Laughter. She got it. She was in on the joke. She says, I laughed, didn't I? You did. Not laughing anymore. I'm still kind of laughing, but different now. Now for joy. I'm going to call him laughter. And every time I call his name, I'm going to remember that. Hey, laughter. Time for dinner. With a smile on her face. 
love it. Verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. They walked around in these tents, knowing that God was going to prepare a place for them in heaven, knowing that they're just strangers in this land, but they're still walking by faith. And they look for a homeland. They look for God's creation. They look for God's city, a city that was prepared by him. And he even admits it there in verse 15, or not admits, admits it, but does say they did have this option. They had the freedom. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But they didn't. They didn't call to mind where they came from. We best just go back. This was a terrible mistake. We're going back. They didn't. And the result of that faith, and this is probably the most important part of the whole chapter for me personally, is God is not ashamed to be called their God. I don't want to go the other way with that and say that, you know, what do I do that causes God to be ashamed of me, to be called my God? I don't want to ever say in public, I love Jesus, and have God go, oh, yeah, he does. Yeah, he does. He doesn't live it, but he does. I want to live my life in such a way that, well, first of all, I don't have to say that. They know it by the way I live. But I want him to say that about me. I want him to feel that way about me. You know, I'm not ashamed to be called his God because he represents me properly on that earth. People look at him and they see me. They remember that my word is faithful because he remembers my word is faithful. He does what I tell him to do and it comes about and he lets me bring about things that are unseen in his life. I just tell him stuff and he goes and does it and then I can bring it about and everybody goes, God is faithful from his life. I'm not ashamed to be called his God. Verse 17, by faith, Abraham, back to Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said in Isaac, your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which he also received uh, him uh, in a figurative sense. That's where we get that evidence back then. How could, how could Abraham do that? How do we know? How did Abraham know? He didn't. He didn't know that God was going to stop him from sacrificing his son on Mount Moriah, Mount Calvary, which was to represent the father and the son 2,000 years later as Christ enters with the wood on his back and the instrument of wrath in God's hand. It was a picture for us all to see him because Abraham did it, took his son Isaac up there by faith saying he really believed he was going to follow through on it. He had no doubt, but he told his servants, I'm coming back, we're coming back. And everybody if you didn't hit this scripture, if you didn't study this part in Hebrews, you'd wonder, well, I wonder how he knew they were coming back. The writer here tells us exactly why. He says, God's going to raise him up from the dead. He's going to have to. He said that my, this, this huge nation he's going to build is going to come from this boy right here, not from another one, not from a replacement. 
But from this boy right here, now he's asked me to offer him up in the sacrifice. So when I do that, uh, God's got a, a pretty simple problem to fix. He's going to have to raise him from the dead and then follow through on his promises. He was that sure of God. That's faith. I don't have that faith. I'd like to. I don't think I'd ever want to be asked that, though. But God only asks people that he knows, can. He never gives us more than we can bear. He's never asked us to walk by a stronger faith than we already have. He's just asked us to believe him. And he's so gracious, he just does little steps at a time. Just believe me. Teaching my kids how to swim is one of the, I love doing it. I love teaching my kids. Want to put them in lessons? No. Not because they can't do it. Not because there's not a benefit from that. Of course there's a benefit from having a coach or anybody else in your kid's life. They can learn more a lot of times from other people than they can from yourself. They've heard your voice too long. It's a fact. But when it comes to swimming, I love that because with swimming, it's kind of life and death. And they've got to believe me. They've got to trust me. Dad, are you going to catch me? Yep, I'm going to catch you. They look at you. Put your arms out. Okay, I'll put my arms out. I'll do whatever you need me to do to make sure you understand that I'm going to catch you. And we do this over and over and over again. Anybody knows what that's like, and it's what a great feeling. Over and over and over again. And pretty soon I start doing this. You're going to catch me? I'm going to catch you. Put your arms out. Mm-mm. No. I'll give you that look. Okay. You know, they're waiting for the arms to pop up. And so I give them what they need every step of the way. But pretty soon, when I'm not looking, here they come running. Catch me! Oh, gee whiz. That's David, isn't it? Wasn't that David? Goliath's out there hooting and hollering. He says, why aren't you guys out there killing this guy? He's gigantic! Throws himself out there. But that wasn't the first time he did it. The first time he did it was with a bear. The second time he did it was with a lion. Just threw himself into the middle of these impossible situations, and God was like, oh, David's in, okay, kill the lion, you know. Give him some strength. He's tackling a bear now or something. Get it, you know. He just threw himself into these impossible situations where God delivered him time and time and time again. David was known for that. David wasn't known because he was strong and awesome. I mean, he was a good-looking guy. The Bible tells us that. That's all we've got on David was he's a good-looking guy. That's all he was, is a good-looking guy who probably couldn't fight his way out of a paper bag most of the time. But he threw himself into possible situations where God constantly delivered him, constantly delivered him, constantly delivered him. That, that kid jumped off more diving boards, you know, I'm going to be that guy. I don't just want to believe God's going to, he's just going to. I know he's going to catch me. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. Short blurb on Isaac is all we have. But Isaac, you know, isn't that interesting? You've got huge, massive stories about Abraham and David. We just went over those. And then Isaac, well, he gets a verse. Not much to know about Isaac. We get a little bit about his life. Some of the mistakes he made in the, old, in the Old Testament. When it comes to the other side of the cross, this is what's written about him. The faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning these things to come. Isaac was known in the hall of faith as blessing somebody else by faith. That's what his faith was. He laid his hands 
Do you remember how that story went? That's not how that story went. Isaac didn't say, you know, Jacob, come in. Esau, you're just going to have to wait. I know you're the firstborn, but Jacob, I just have this feeling God wants me to bless him first. That's not how it went. He got duped and tricked. Hair put on his arm and snuck in there. And Isaac had no intention of actually blessing Jacob first. Was going to bless Esau. Thought he was blessing Esau. And that was a total mistake on his part. We understand that. But he learned from his mistake. And when he found out the truth, he was asked to switch the blessing. He goes, no, 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 what I've done, I've done. He was very fearful. He trembled. Remember, the Bible says he actually trembled because he knew. And that's a great place to be, everybody, to tremble when you know you've made a mistake, but you write it. You get it right. You make it right. And he did. Switch it. Switch your hands. Bless me. What I've said, I've said. This is God's will, not me. This has nothing to do with me. And on the other side of the cross, it's recorded that by faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau. Hmm. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. There's a lot to that story. Wrestled with God all night long. That's how he got the staff. Got his hip put out of joint and never got it put back in. Shrunk it up so it was never going to fit right. So they'd constantly be leaning. Leaning on the top of the staff is very symbolic. Jacob's leaning was always leaning. After a result of being injured in a wrestling match with God, defeated, humbled, but submissive to the Lord from there on out. But he blessed Joseph's sons. He knew. He knew. He gave a double blessing to Joseph. Now, by faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the capture of the children of departure, excuse me, of the children of Israel and gave instructions concerning his bones. His instructions were this, when you leave this place. He died, number two in Egypt. On the top, Israel was, I mean, they were an uprising, up-and-coming group of people. They were, had favor with Pharaoh. And only after he died, the favor began to fall away. Joseph says, now I'm going to be dead here, but we're not going to live here. We're not staying here. Eventually, you're all going to leave here. And when you leave, take me with you. Do not leave me here in Egypt. Take me with you. And they did. And they did. 400 years later, when Moses leads them out of captivity, they take Joseph's bones with them and take, it to the prom- take him to the promised land. Because he knew, this is not my home. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents. His parents were Amran and Jochebed. Those are the people's faith we're talking about here. They don't mention them, but that's who it is. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents. His parents had faith because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. Disobedience, civil disobedience. You must throw your baby in the Nile. We're going to wait three months. And when we do, we didn't say we couldn't build him a little boat. You know what we meant. Just saying. You didn't make, it wasn't very specific. Interesting. By faith, they kept him. They knew, "Mm -mm. this child's not going in the river. We're not throwing him in the river, no matter what. Okay, now they want us to throw him in the river. He's caught, he's too loud. Quiet, Moses was a loud baby. That's how we know he got, we know that because he got tossed in the ark. 
not afraid. They weren't afraid of the king's command. Whatever you kill us, we're not going to. We're not going to kill this baby. It was more important to obey God and to see God's call in this baby's life than to listen to man. Mm-mm. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. What? Moses chose Christ? I don't think about that in the Old Testament very much. Chose God, you mean. No, he chose the Christ. Jesus wasn't even born yet. No, he didn't know his name yet, but he knew the Savior was coming, and he knew it was better to be with those people from which the Savior was going to come from, believing all the way back to Eve, getting the promise. He'd rather receive the reproaches of Christ, which tells me something here. Everything the Jews have ever received, the beatdowns they've got in this world from the day they were created is all because of Satan not appreciating that the Christ came from those people. Everything they've ever been, everything they're going through right now is because of Christ. And so Moses says, I'd rather be with the people of Christ, the Savior that's coming, than to be with these folks and be off the hook. We're going to, be, we're going to have to make that choice. Especially you younger people, you're probably going to have to make that choice. You're either with Christ or you're, you're with us. It's coming. It's definitely going to come. Will you do what Moses chose? Will you pick that? I'd rather be reproached for Christ than to be out of jail or out of, off of death row or uh, then get that promotion or whatever it is that's on the carrot, or the carrot on the string there in front of you. It's luring you away. I'd rather be with Christ. I'd rather suffer the reproach of Christ. I'd rather lose my job for Christ than to gain whatever, VP, whatever's offered to you. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians, attempting to do so, were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled, For seven days. By faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets. Now he's talking about the prophets. I mean, he runs out of time. There's just too many to tell you. Too many stories. Too many men and women who have walked by faith and you've seen their faith in evidence and you've all been the recipients of the blessings of their faith. Of course, he's getting to a point here. Guys, you're just asked to do the same thing they're asked to do. Walk by faith. Let it live out in your life. Don't tell everybody. Don't go back to Egypt. Stay. Walk like these kids. Don't you want this testimony? Don't you want to be one of these people? Whether it's just a blurb like Isaac got or a big, long dissertation like Moses got or Abraham, doesn't matter. Or these guys, Gideon, big story there, Barak, Samson, Samson? Everybody remembers the story of Samson, right? He's in the hall of faith. Samson was strong and carnal, filled with the spirit, but loved women. 
Couldn't keep his hands off him. I want her. She's not a believer. She's not one of us. I don't care. Get her for me. You're not supposed to eat dead things. Yeah, yeah, whatever. It's honey. I like honey. I mean, the kid did everything wrong. And he was vindictive and angry and the foxes and the fire and all the things and burning down the fields and killing these guys and killing those guys all because of him, not because of God. He wasn't doing it for the Lord. He was doing it because of Samson. But in the end, with his eyes gouged out, attached to those two pillars, taking that little slave boy, and the little slave boy says, yeah, here you go. Here's there. I will put my hands against him. I want to and he pushes him down and dies in the process of it, killing all the leadership there and Philistia. They all died, including him, Paul of Faith. Talk about a life lived full of mistakes, but in the end, he did one thing right. He did one thing for God, not himself. And he's considered a man of faith. Now, the prophets. So far, we've heard some great, so great. We're going to get some land. We're going to get a whole heritage full of people. We're going to get a, a country. Uh, uh, uh. Then there's the other side of following God, the prophets. Who through faith subdued kingdoms, true, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to fight the armies of the aliens. Women received her dead, raised to life again. Cool. I want to be a prophet. I will hold that thought. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trials or trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskin and goatskin, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of the earth. I think I'll take the first batch. See, their faith was their faith not because of what they were going to get. Their faith was their faith because of whom they trusted, because of the hope of heaven. Whether it's a great life down here full of blessings or whether it's a horrible life full of torture, either way, my inheritance, my hope is not here in the results of my faith here on earth. It's heaven. It's what God has prepared for me. That's how probably we know that our faith is more genuine is when we have the second batch as opposed to the first batch because it doesn't benefit us. Torture doesn't benefit me in the sense that, you know, you look forward to getting up that morning, you know. Oh boy, another round of torture. You don't think that way. And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. God having provided something better for us that they should not be made perfect apart from us. We all consider them great men of faith. When Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, verse 37 says, let your yes be yes and your no be no, means I don't want to have to hear about your faith. If you're a man of faith, your yes will be yes and your no will be no. You don't have to question it and you don't have to emphasize. 
In James chapter 2, verse 18, he says, I'll show you my faith by my works. I don't want to hear about your faith. That doesn't tell me anything. Your life tells me your faith. And of course, John 20, 29, when Thomas says, my Lord and my God. He says, oh, Thomas, I'm glad you believed. You believe because you've seen, but blessed are those who are going to believe without seeing. That's us. We walk by faith. A life of faith. A life that people can see and say, how, why? That's amazing. Yes, he is, and my hope is in him. In 1 Corinthians, this is what we'll close on. He says, uh, the great, you know, I think it's right after 13 or uh, towards the end of chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians. It, you know, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love because that's the latter. It really is. God showed us his love, and we have a hope based off of that, how he showed us that, and our faith is in that hope, and that's the latter. That's how it looks. I walk my walk, I live my life in obedience to God, in trusting in God because of the hope that he's declared to me because of the love that he's shown for me through his son, Jesus Christ. When we get to heaven, we don't need faith and hope anymore. That's why love is the greatest. We don't need faith or hope. It's all there. It's happening. It's, it's done. It's concluded. That's why love's the greatest. But until we get there, until that's happened, faith and hope based off of his love. Now we're going to have communion. The guys are going to hand out the elements and I wasn't too bad. We're okay, time-wise. This is the love. This is what we're reminded of in communion. This is the love of God. That's the greatest example of love that we have. As greater love has no man than this than to lay down one's life for them. Thank you. And he did it while we were enemies. That's the key. Not while we were friends, not while we were here as best buddies. Oh, I'm going to die for these guys because they're great people. I'm going to die for them because they need me to die for them, because they need saving, because I am the only way for them to not perish. So whether I'm ever appreciated or not by any of them, I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do, the right thing, to die for them. And as we have this bread in our hands, which he told his disciples represents his broken body for us, which is going to happen the next day, Take and eat. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you eat this bread. Remember my broken body, that it was for love's sake that I did it. And the cup he took that night, this is the cup of my new covenant, which the writer of Hebrews is desperately trying to keep the Jews in believing. Please stick with the new covenant. The new covenant of my blood, it's going to be shed for you. That's my signature on the fact that this cross is effective for your salvation. And often as you drink this cup, do this in remembrance of me. And so we do today. Thousands of years later, we have hope based off of this love. And after we read this chapter, hopefully we're more encouraged to then walk that faith, live that faith, to not look outwardly, oh, it's a sunny day, it's going to be a great day. I don't know that. I'm going to walk by faith and listen to God's Holy Spirit and be led by that. That night in Las Vegas was supposed to be a great night for a lot of people. It didn't turn out that way. There's a lot of things like that. I don't know why it was. I just, I just didn't feel like we should go to the concert. felt like we should steer clear of that. I don't know. I was led by the Spirit. Not only does He protect us from things, not that 
Not that they were all lacking faith. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not, I'm not belittling what took place. Um, but I don't look at the outward and say, well, for what I see, ha, what a great day. I don't know. It was a great day when Seth broke his arm on his jumping stilts, you know, beautiful sunny day until he hit the gravel. It's a great day as we were running to the skating park out there. And before they got the fence up, Evangeline goes running in there and catches a crossbeam right in her nose. Gee whiz. A lot of bad things happen. A lot of stitches have taken place on great days. You know. On the other hand, we've had some pretty miserable expectations of the day that turned out to be pretty nice. Nice surprises. Nice blessings. Oh, I don't want to go do that. I don't feel like doing that. I don't want to go there and do that but I'm supposed to. It's my responsibility. And I went there grudgingly and was totally blown away. Total blessing. So we've got this love in our hands, this representation of God's love for us, his son dying on the cross. And then he told us later on he's going to prepare a place for us and our inheritance is in heaven and I've prepared a mansion for you. And if I go, I'm going to come back and I'm going to take you there. That's my hope. Now, because that's going to happen, I'm going to live the rest of my life based off of that. Sonny, or rainy. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the promises you've given us, the hope you've given us. We didn't have a hope before your son died on the cross. We had no hope. We were destined for hell, for punishment, because of our sins. You're a righteous and true judge. There's nothing more you could have done. But you did. You sent your son to die on the cross for our sins instead of us, in place of us. And now we have a hope. And because we have that hope, Lord, until we're in heaven with you until that promise is fulfilled of this all ending and you beginning, we're going to walk by faith like Abraham, like Isaac, like Jacob, like Sarah, like Rahab. Day by day, hearing your voice and doing the right thing, doing what you've called us to do, trusting you and your voice, not the circumstances around us, God. And so we're reminded today, and that's why we have this bread and this cup in our hands. We're reminded that we are forgiven And on the other side of this cross, what this represents here, you see us in a different light. People of faith. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.